near flag. Mukhtar headed in. It's two. It's Jack Mayer. The milkman delivers. Nashville is headed north. After a six-match winless stretch for the boys in goal, it's now two and four for Nashville SC. Thanks to iHeartRadio for the call of Jack Mayer's goal, a brace for the milkman, and we're going to milk those milkman jokes for all they're worth today on the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage for the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio voice, Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the owner of clubcountryusa.com. Big win for Nashville, 3-0 over Vancouver. They have now scored seven goals in their last two. Tim, I'll ask you, do you think that either Vancouver or Dallas was the best result of the season? Yeah, I lean towards just between those two, Dallas over Vancouver because of the caliber of competition and the way it can kind of change the narrative about NSC's home form Mm -hmm. because they've been so good on the road. But of course, the one that I'm going to name was also on the road anyway, but it's part of what created the narrative that NSC is so good at. Uh, the opposing ground, which is they, they absolutely pasted Colorado Rapids at a time when Colorado was looking much stronger than they are now. And we'll mm-hmm. obviously talk quite a bit about that for obvious reasons later in the show. But Nashville needed to assert some dominance going into an international break at that point. And um, that was big, especially when you take away kind of what happened out of the international break. They really needed that one, too, it turns out. So I think that's probably the most impressive of the year. But both of these are are right up there with it. I call it a team that is descending the table rapidly right now and comes to Nashville on Wednesday. The boys in gold sit sixth in the Western Conference. Vancouver could have passed them if the White would have passed them if the Whitecaps had, had beaten Nashville. Instead, Nashville opens up a five-point lead over Vancouver, five points safe in the playoff picture now. But uh, obviously things can change quickly in a, a Western Conference driven by parity this year even more uh, than most. In the early shout today, the Milkman's timely deliveries Hani's continued contribution, and what is it about rotated sides getting the job done for this team? They made six changes from that 4-0 win over Dallas. Some of them forced, some of them precautionary, some of them, you know, manager's discretion, and uh, still uh, got the job done in a big way. And in the Gold Nuggets, we'll take a look at Nashville's dominance over the last two matches in which they have outscored opponents 7-0 and not allowed a shot on target. Not bad. And the mailbag, is this actual improvement or is it just a progression <laughs> to the mean as we get into No, it's uh, bad. It's bad. I'm going to die on that hill. It's bad to win 7 nothing over two games. <laughs> yeah, just that's that's a hill you're going to die on then you're going you're dead. For sure. <laughs> and uh, there are bigger hills uh, and better hills uh, going outside in the biggest matches around the league this week a look at the playoff picture it's a lot of fun to bring in highlights from other games and, and talk about those key results uh, Cascadia of course a big result this past uh, Friday and then some big ones coming up this week and so we'll preview some of those matchups and of course two huge wins for the boys in goal taking on a Colorado team really you feel like this is their last gasp for playoff contention to get mm-hmm. something out of Nashville and then Austin, very much in contention, uh, even for Supporters Shield still, just six points back of LAFC with a lot to play for. Uh, but first, Club and Country is sponsored by ML Rose. Looking forward to a triumphant return to ML Rose, most likely after Saturday's match. That's uh, that's the plan. I won't be doing Wednesday because I won't be on the radio call, actually. My brother's going to fill in while I'm on a work trip. But uh, Saturday, I think uh, ML Rose uh, postgame is, is most definitely going to happen. Uh, Tim, it's been it's been too long. Yeah, it's been too long, and I, I do want to give a shout-out to uh, to one of our listeners, Aaron Farquhar from The Assembly. He, he gave us a new recommendation 
yes, to, he did. To, to try to try at ML Rose. So, uh, yeah, that's something that we're obviously very happy when people reach out and tell us that, um, you know, because they hear about it from us, they're, they're going to ML Rose. Yeah, the black bean nachos was his recommendation. Yeah. I know we have a number of... Thank you uh, for saving me on that one. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. If it's an MLRO's tweet, I remember it. And so I'm glad you, you recalled it in the moment. Um, my, my brain responds to food. That's just how this thing works. <laughs> the black bean nachos... And honestly, I've not had the black bean nachos. Have you? No, I have not. I've had the meat nachos numerous times. We have a number of vegetarian listeners. Uh, shout out to to Logan. Shout out to, uh, to Kay Baker and... Uh, They've they've looped us in on things like the impossible meat that you can substitute for any burger. Uh, I'm definitely going to try these. I think yeah, I'm, I'm a huge nacho sucker. Uh, way too often am I in a nacho mood, and I've usually gotten it with the chicken. Uh, but looking forward to trying the black bean nachos uh, maybe as soon as Saturday night after the Austin match. Thanks for that recommendation, Tim. Um, what what's been on what's what's what have your cravings been lately when it comes I don't know to I until he mentioned that I hadn't really thought about it but now it sounds really good yeah. so that and and uh, as everyone knows my my uh, bit on on these on these ad reads is is the beer is is going to be great to wash it down with as well yeah I think maybe like a lighter a lighter yeah. beer to go with the the black bean nachos maybe, maybe like a hint of lime sort of uh, yeah, sort of Mexican effect I think that's 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 awfully good and there's some good local beer and a lot of those lighter beers that are not just the crappy you know, generic macro breweries, but local stuff, good Pilsners and things like that that go well too. Uh, so ML Rose, again, 8th Avenue location, uh, just a short, short walk and a very short drive from Geodas Park. When you think about Nashville SC, when you think about our podcast, think about ML Rose. Leal, it's Mukhtar to his left and Zubak to his right, goes for goal and it's in! Oh, it's tremendous from the Tico! The Costa Rican with a cannon. 1-0 Nashville. Randall Ayal gets on the score sheet for the first time in seven. Big, big moment for him. The rocket from distance, Tim. He was scoring in classic Randall Ayal fashion. Just tee up 24 Mm -hmm. yards out and let it fly. Huge moment for him. And really, it's easy to say this looking back, but I didn't feel the result was ever really in doubt after that moment. And certainly after Jack Mayer scored four minutes later. But going back to Randall, how vital would his reemergence be for a group that's been looking for secondary attacking sources? I don't think he's really gone anywhere, right? He's been productive in the, in the final piece, actually putting the ball in the back of the net. Yes, it is important when you look at getting results, but in terms of projecting it forward, um, it isn't as significant as actually creating the chances, actually making those plays. And um, he's been close, and he has kind of shifted a little bit more to being a bit of a provider rather than a finisher. So he's mm-hmm. been there, but... Like you mentioned, if he gets his his goal scoring boots going, it's that's a big deal. Um, you know, I've also said that as much as NSC has relied on Honey Mukhtar, it's not a problem. Um, so, so, you know, I guess adding Leal would be great. But as long as you still have Honey, knock on wood, I guess uh, uh, it's it's complimentary and, and can take Nashville to another level rather than kind of, you know, being the thing that they need to make the playoffs or whatever it might be. Sure, and I'll agree with you that Randall's never really gone anywhere except for when he was injured, but. When he can hit from distance like that, to me, that's mm-hmm. going to strike in the consciousness of opponents. Uh, oh yeah, he can he can nail one from distance. They're going to probably collapse, you know, toward him defensively and and you know mark him further out, which opens up more space for him to chip one over the top to uh, Tahani, get CJ involved again. So I think he can can play a role in kind of perpetuating more attacking success as he's able to. I mean, it's again, it's like guarding the three point shooters, right? And the post mm-hmm. is left open. I think you used that analogy last week. Um, I think it certainly certainly works. As for the man with the brakes, Jack Mayer, 
all the way, by the way, also led the team in clearances. So defensively, his primary purpose, he performed well. And then his two goals, the second and third of his career. And uh, Tim, you spoke with him post game about what that moment meant, but also what the performance meant for a team that had seen a good bit of frustration coming into uh, the match last weekend against Dallas. And uh, here's what he had to say. How did you guys kind of maintain the right mindset when you were performing pretty well, but not seeing the final results? And then how vindicating is it to see the results now that now that you're kind of being rewarded for it? Yeah, honestly, with a veteran group of guys, we always knew how good a soccer team we are. And having made the playoffs the past two years, it gives us that understanding of what we need to do, the output that we need to put in every single training session, every single game. And that hasn't wavered. We've been consistent. And in that tough time, we realized that the bounces were going our way. We were letting in fluke goals, uncharacteristic goals. And now it's good to be trending in the right direction again. So great performance, Tim, from, from Mayer, again, on both sides of the pitch, leading the team in clearances uh, in the absence of Walker Zimmerman, who was on the bench. From what I understand, it was just precautionary mm-hmm. with a bunch of matches coming up. His performance particularly impressive, though, when you consider that he hadn't touched the field since that last Vancouver match. So it was four games that he was on the bench. He was healthy. He just wasn't chosen. It's Now he's going to be hard to keep off the field. Yeah, I, I don't think that Nashville's going to like change tactics just to get him out, out there. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But it's certainly a stretch run. But like you mentioned, Walker Zimmerman resting basically just for pure rest. A really healthy and, and really informed Jack Mayer is going to give the opportunities for both Zimmerman and Dave Romney. And and to some extent, um, we saw Eric Miller play as, as a right center back in that back three on Saturday night as well. More rotation and more depth as this season kind of reaches its conclusion as you see more midweek games starting this week as you see Nashville C playing an exhibition match against Club America as well they need guys who are going to be able to step up and take a little bit of the of kind of the onus off of the projected starters so uh, in terms of, of the leading the team in clearances that's that's fine it's good yes but I generally think it's hard to use counting stats to kind of mm-hmm. uh, ca- encapsulate the impact that a center back can do. Their performances are, are measured in the opponent's attack, which obviously looks pretty good as well um, after zero shots on target. But, you know, in the big picture, it is more about, you know, if a guy is in the right shape, if a guy is, is making the plays, you never really even see it show up statistically because opponents want to avoid it. I'm just glad that there are counting stats at this level for yeah. defenders. Uh, ha- called Haven't called dozens of maybe hundreds at this point of college soccer matches they don't even have they they hardly even have counting stats for attackers it's the worst you're going on minutes played like that's how you're evaluating like because i I love to over prepare i'm like okay he he has one goal in four years but he started 65 yeah okay he's good it's it's impossible um what's not impossible is to see honey mukhtar's impact he had a quiet night only two assists (laughs) he only got on the score sheet twice tim is it time to start thinking about other options at at dp i'm just kidding of course (laughs) sarcasm Uh, he now leads major league soccer in goals plus assists by one after his mvp competitor sebastian driussi scored a goal against lafc tallied once but of course two contributions for honey they were tied coming into the weekend the mvp race is getting hot but can you blame me for calling Sebastian Driussi the front runner? I think he, you know, the leader in the Golden Boot race, his team success. I honestly think if we're looking at most viable player, it's Hani, and you could maybe go ahead and make that call today. But that's not mm-hmm. how most of the league defines this. What does Hani need to do to capture the MVP award? 
It's the same answer I gave, or I guess a refined version of the answer I gave in the mailbag last week. He needs to continue being the Hani Mukhtar that we have seen all year. And he needs to have the team kind of step up and support him a little bit so they can move up in the table. I mean, like you said, he's he's more valuable to his team than Drewsi is to Austin FC. But, um, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, being around the playoff line versus being in second place in the Western Conference and smacking down the team that's leading the supporter shield race. You know, Drusi might not have as much production just this past weekend, but he probably got at least as many eyeballs. So that's a big deal. Um, there, there's just something to be said for team success. And the other, I think, biggest factor is going to be that these two teams haven't played each other yet. Um, they're going to play twice. These guys are going to go head to head twice starting this week. If Mukhtar outperforms Drusi, um, including potentially um, Drusi not being available for one of those games, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. But if Nashville gets, you know, two results against Austin or gets a win and a, and a loss even, and Mukhtar outshines him on the same stage, I think Drusi is, is passable by Hani as well. One of our missions is to expand the spheres of discussion and, and even influence across this league. And we will probably never have the bandwidth of a show like MLS Extra Time, and that's to be expected. But there's so much league-driven commentary that, that is digested across the league. And, and unfortunately, we've seen that content, those people have outsized impact on races such, of these, such as these and kind of perpetuate reality themselves. So we'll do our little part to, to put our shout in the bucket and wherever the truth falls. You know, if, if mm-hmm. Dreyusi has a brace against Nashville... And Hani is quiet. Curtains. That's curtains. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I think that you know we'll, we'll be we'll be realistic there. But I think if you look at most viable player, look, go ahead and change it to player of the year if you want to just give it to the best player on one of the best teams or the Golden Boot winner. That's fine. But let's let's be honest about what this award is. Well, I, th- I think it's fair that that a guy is more valuable by providing the exact same contributions to a team that's a little bit better. There is more value in in leading a better team. But when you look at you know a, a team that's not succeeding. Um, you know, during the months of June through mid-August, through no fault of Hani's own, it kind of changes the story as well. Yeah, that's true. But there, there's always going to be an element of team success. You're never going to mm-hmm. see an MVP on the 12th place team. That's that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to our gold nuggets and that turnaround for Nashville in the last two matches, if we want to call it a turnaround, as again, the process, not too different, the product quite different. We'll start with defense. Nashville SC now has not allowed a shot on target since Alan Benitez's goal for Minnesota in the 75th minute. By my rudimentary math, that's 195 minutes without allowing a shot on frame. Tim, has this primarily been driven, and I'm saying primarily because all these, all three of these things are true, but primarily driven by tactics, by mentality, by luck? Well, you said it can be all of the above, and that's that shows you're very smart, West, because it obviously is. That's all always of the, the above. answer. That's why I went with primarily there. I should have put yeah. it in bold and all caps. Yeah, I mean, you you can give up golden chance after golden chance, but you don't allow a shot on target unless the opponent p- puts it on frame. And there were a couple of open shots that Nashville played very little part in keeping off target, especially um, in the match against Vancouver. Uh, Dallas had basically nothing going on, but mm-hmm. um, there is something to be said for the value of, of hard work and mentality, though. Um, when you look at all of the shots that those two teams took, Dallas took four and three of them were blocked by Nashville SC defenders. Um, Vancouver took 12 and seven of them were blocked by defenders. If they only have five shots that even have a chance to get on target, uh, you know, you're really maximizing your chances of, of defensive success. And, and if they are not wearing their proper shooting boots, you're going to have that sort of um, performance that, that Nashville has not had twice in a row. And half or even a little bit more than half of Vancouver shots came from outside the box as well. So Nashville doing a good job limiting those high percentage opportunities, which I think, you know, certainly they can deserve uh, credit for that that as well. The opponent can still put it on frame from, from far away, a la Randall Leal, but, but certainly lower, lower XG, lower percentage. 
On the other side of the pitch, seven goals in two matches that ties the best two game output in club history. Tim, you tweeted after the match. It's the first time that I, I was so played. I was so scared. I was researching that tweet and I was like, <laughs> if, if Dax hits this penalty, it's going to change everything. <laughs> so thank well, you, Dax. I know you're fortunately you, for you. For I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure you're very, very happy. I'm sure he's very happy to have obliged. I'm sure. Um, so it's the first time that Nashville has done that seven goals in consecutive matches and won both of them. A big factor here. Uh, in those goal set pieces. Four of them came directly off set pieces. Two free kicks, two corner kicks. Do you see set piece success as something that can be replicated over the course of a season? Can Nashville say we're good at set pieces, we're going to keep on churning with that and riding those and, and trying to earn fouls in dangerous areas? Um, or is that success maybe a bit deceptive? After all, Nashville's outperformed its XG by 3.7 goals in its last two. Shocking, I know, that Randall's <laughs> strike and that Hani's from basically the inline or low percentage yeah. opportunities. But I wonder how much of this can be replicated and projected moving forward. Well, I'll start with that last part, which is, you know, Nashville SC had been horrifically underachieving their XG previously. So so while, you know, it doesn't change what you actually did or did not score, it is something that you say, okay, th those th those outliers are going to eventually kind of um, e even out. And we'll talk about sample sizes later. Of course we will. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, over a large enough sample, you're, you're going to get the good and the bad. But um, in terms of the set piece portion of it. Nashville is the most reliant team in the league on set piece production of 41.4% of their goals and 39.7% of their expected goals um, have come on set pieces. That's corner kicks. I included penalties in there. It's the same yeah, sort of situation sure. and, and free kicks. But um, uh, did I say that's per American soccer analysis? Because it is, um, but, but they also do have, they also do have Hani Mukhtar and, and other teams don't. This is a guy who's going to hit some direct free kicks. This is a guy who's going to provide above average service. So, I mean, if anything, you look at a team like Columbus that has only 25% of both their goals and their expected goals coming uh, from set pieces. And you see that they have Lucas LRI on you're saying, okay, maybe Nashville's got to figure it out. And, and Columbus is kind of doing a reverse money ball thing where they aren't doing it right. Um, so all of that said, uh, is it replicable? I think to a certain extent, but you're not going to outperform your expected goals like Nashville has lately. So you would like to have a, a greater variety of ways that you can score. And, you know, when you look at trying to score better, <laughs> better opportunities in, in open play, that's why Nashville has upgraded at right back with Shaq Moore, left wing with Jacob Schaffelberg. They have the pieces to, to maybe do a little bit more aside from simply saying, okay, we're going to go be, you know, kind of a World Cup style team or we're just going to go chime bang in set pieces. Sidebar, by the way, on each of those two upgrades uh, on Moore and Schaffelberg, because neither started mm -hmm. against Vancouver. Just some context there, of course, Shaq Moore left in the second half of the Dallas match with injury. He did make the trip. He was available for selection and was on the bench. So it doesn't sound like that's going to be a, you know anything mm -hmm. season-ending or long-term for Shaq. Schaffelberg didn't start. I think a lot of people probably wondered why. He played really well. He scored the goal. Usually Gary will start a goal scorer mm -hmm. uh, the next match. Simply because of the change of shape, he did not uh, yeah. go into and, that's, and that's, that played a role for Shaq too. Shaq's not yeah. as much of a wing back as he is a, a fullback too. And we'll discuss that a little bit later in the mailbag. Actually, that that very question. But um, don't don't think that Schaffelberg is you know out of favor with the team or anything like that. It was just hey, he's barely trained with the team. They're switching shapes. Let's go with you know an Alex Wheel on one side and a Taylor Washington on the other who've played played in that shape. Uh, next up, a Colorado team that got demoralized by Philadelphia. When you see a 6-0 loss like they had, Tim, usually it's going to be on like 3.5 XG and the team just mm -hmm. had a really good night. Not Philly. 5.91 expected goals. They they performed up to what they should have done. And that's the third worst defensive performance by an MLS team this season when you look at XG allowed. They aren't the first time to get swamped. They aren't the first team to get swamped by the Union. DC United has made a living doing that this year. 
but it's part of a larger decline for a Rapids team that topped the West last year. They got some luck last year. None of that's going their way this year. Winless in four now. They sit five points out of the playoffs, seven back of Nashville. I mean, Philly's doing that specific thing to everyone lately. If you want to talk about unions that scored six goals on low XG, talk about uh, Union Berlin, who scored six goals on like 1.02 expected goals at the weekend. Jordan Pifak, the U.S. men's national team player, assisted one of them, did not score any. Uh, just just a little sidebar. Play train him is so happy right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I mean, Philly is doing this to everyone lately. They've they've scored six and seven. Um, you know, I think I think that's their fourth game with at least six in the past month. Yeah. So, you know, Colorado has fallen off hard, and I think that that sort of game can really break your mentality, especially as you drop lower and lower, uh, farther away from the playoff field. But it's certainly a situation where you don't expect Nashville to go in and say, "Okay, we're getting over five expected goals against anyone," much less against a Colorado team that does still have talent. I think it, it is fair to expect three points out of out of that one, though. And, yeah. And you need three points. I think when Austin comes to town uh, on the weekend, then you're you're probably okay with a point if you've gotten six in the previous two um, coming in. Austin plays Portland on Wednesday. Here's a dilemma for us now, the Tim, and I think you'll probably side with with me on this one, but we'll see. Um, Austin plays Portland Wednesday. Sebastian Driussi again. We've talked about him as the as the other guy really competing for MVP with Hani. He sits on four yellow cards. If he earns one against the Timbers, he's out for the Nashville match. Many fans probably want that to happen. Who could blame them? It's good for Nashville if one of the best scorers in Major League Soccer is not available. I want him to play. I want to see that direct Ryusi versus Mukhtar. We're going to see it in Austin probably if we don't see it in Nashville. I want it twice. I want that head-to-head MVP showdown. And as the the you know, broadcaster for the game on radio, selfishly too. It's a great storyline to be able to harp on. What do you think? Oh man, we uh, it's been a, a long time since we've embraced consensus here, but we're going to embrace debate. Oh, bring it, let's go. I don't, I don't like. Obviously, from a selfish perspective, I want to see him in person and, and see him play. But I don't. I I hear the I want to face them at their best to prove we can do it type of arguments. But you get three points if you win. You get one point if you draw. You get zero points if you lose. You play to win the game. To uh, to since we have to make a football reference every single episode, <laughs> I'll channel Herm Edwards there, but maximizing for success is what's important. Um, Obviously I'm not like rooting for him to get a yellow card because again, selfishly, I do want to see him, but if he's not available, that helps Nashville. So, Mm -hmm. so be it. I mean, that's cold, hard, rational. It's everything we've come to. Hey, this, yeah, it's exactly, uh, that's my brand, baby. I'm one small, to play I will well. take a small sample size of one game without Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I think if it's almost anybody else in this league, I'm going to be on, on that side of the equation too. You know, for instance, no Jesus Ferreira for Dallas. Good news. I tweeted before that Dallas match where you're in the yellow. Like, Nashville fans, here's what you should be rooting for. I'll be tweeting <laughs> that for Drew Ucy, probably. Eh, I might. We'll see. Listen, uh, I've already seen Drew Ucy in, in person this month at the MLS All-Star oh, game presented shout. by Target. Uh, there's a shout. It was really fun. I, I got to bring it back again, <laughs> but it was fun. I got I got my fill of seeing Drew in person, okay? So again, Nashville hosting Colorado Wednesday. Uh, Will Bowling going to be on the broadcast on radio for that one. Uh, 7.30 p.m. kickoff, 7 o'clock pregame, and then Saturday I'm back on the mic coming back from my exotic work trip to the scenic city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Going to be two hours away from Jonas Park and not able to attend the broadcast. That's <laughs> a bit of a bummer. Um, so I'll be following uh, on Twitter with many of you. I'll be following Club Country USA. That's at Club Country USA. There's a guy named Tim that does a good job for that site who will be uh, covering covering that match. And then Austin on Saturday. I'll be back and ready to go. And then, Tim, afterward, I will be going to 
ML Rose unless unless my wife is still awake after the game in which case I'll probably <laughs> offer to, to just bring her a quick to-go meal from ML Rose instead of stopping and having a beer. Either way though, I'm thinking a stop is is in the cards. And uh, it's it's really cool because when we've both been before, you know, before games, after games, so much gold in that place. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd love to take credit for some of that, but but also just the location. Organically, being so close to Geodis Park means that's going to be the go-to place for a lot of Nashville fans. Yeah, and, and like we said, when we went and, and we uh, had planned to go there and we told people that we were going to go there after uh, whichever game that was, the first Vancouver game, uh, we, we you know didn't necessarily have high expectations that people were going to show up. And I don't even know if it was for us. It probably was not. But there were so many Nashville SC fans filling that place after the game um, when I've been there uh, before games as well. Um, not quite as many. I think people, uh, <laughs> they, what they should do is go there before the games because then they can have the beers before they're really expensive at Geodis Park. Right, and then uh, have a little bit more of a frugal uh, evening. But yeah, it's just loaded with Nashville SC fans and, and people who not only want to have a, a good experience, you know, watching Nashville SC and being around other Nashville SC fans, but they want to do it with with better food and drink than you can probably get basically anywhere that you're going to be able to watch Nashville SC. Also, the parking is free and plentiful, and uh, it's within short walking distance of the stadium. Just throwing that out there: free, plentiful mm-hmm. parking in South Nashville is not always something you can, um, you can just take as a given. Four, uh, 14 minute and 20 second walk. That's with it. A stop. And I'll say this, every time I've ever been to ML Rose, maybe one or two exceptions in past years, every time this year, I've been able to still park down low, like below their top mm-hmm. deck in their parking lot. If it's full, there's an upper deck kind of up the hill. It's really easy to park. And uh, you know, as, as crowded as it is, you see a good pedestrian crowd too, who's walking there from elsewhere. And so that parking is, is, uh, is plentiful. And, uh, again, the 8th Avenue location, just a, as you said, 14-minute, 20-second-ish walk. Uh, just uh, two two turns involved, and one of them is two-your-turn style. So uh, really, <laughs> really easy. Uh, ML Rose, you should go there. That's a good slogan. Uh, let's go to the mailbag. Wyatt said, I asked last time about us seeing a late run by NSC to match their XG. Is that what we're seeing now as Tim Nashville ranks second uh, in the XG differential table in the Western Conference. And they're starting to make up some of that ground as they underachieve their XG for much of the year. Yeah, they're going to, for the most part, get near that XG over a long enough sample. But it's not like because they were underachieving XG recently and now they're overachieving it because it needs to zero out by the end of the year. It is, um, you know, it's one of those statistical principles that you learn that um, each time you're, you're expecting it to be pretty close to the number. Sometimes it's going to be over, sometimes it's going to be under, but because you are not um, over at one point doesn't mean that you're going to kind of make it up this summer. <laughs> That's not how the stats work, but right. um, in the long run, yes, you are going to kind of expect the team to get pretty close to it. So Maybe this is kind of some of that overcorrection or correction, I guess. But on a game-to-game basis, you are going to say, okay, we expect them to be pretty close to it. There are still teams that that underachieve pretty consistently over the course of a year. There are teams that overachieve pretty consistently over the course of the year. I believe last year, New York City FC mm-hmm. underachieved their numbers a lot of the year and then ended up winning MLS Cup. The previous year, uh, Columbus Crew overachieved their numbers and ended up winning MLS Cup as well. So it's a situation where it's kind of inherently unpredictable and you expect mm-hmm. kind of to be close to the to the expected numbers in the end. Yeah, it's, it's really funny how that plays out in the standings. I mentioned Nashville having the second best XG differential in the West per 90. The actual second place team in the West, this Austin team we've talked about, is contending for Sporter Shield. They're in the red. They have a negative ex- expected goals differential. We've talked on, on here before about how they've been a little bit lucky statistically mm-hmm. in so many of those games. They've trailed in like each of their last seven 
seven home games, by the way, until this LAFC match. Based on XG alone, though, they rank ninth in the West. Third place Minnesota is 10th. Colorado is 4th. This is a weird league. And so when we tell you that even a full season is not always sufficient as a sample yeah. size to evaluate the quality of teams and results versus XG, we're not saying you can't try to make those judgments. When we have a limited sample size, we still have to be able to make some conclusions from the data. But it's going to be inherently tricky when crazy things like that are happening. Yeah, you mentioned it, that, that Austin has been lucky. And, and to be clear, to go back to what I said at the top here, that does not mean they're due for, for some sort of comeback to earth necessarily. It means that you probably expect them to, to continue and probably just get pretty close to their expected numbers. Yes, they're going to underachieve and overachieve at times over the rest of the year. I have them as by far the luckiest team in the league when you compare opponent-adjusted goals against to their uh, opponent-adjusted XG for and against. They're nearly twice as lucky as the number two team, and that, that number two team is one that you just mentioned. Minnesota, I have them as, as uh, half a standard deviation more lucky than everyone else, and, and Austin is a full standard deviation luckier than average. So it's, it's a huge gap between those two teams, and um, it is a situation where Austin may come back to earth at some point and just kind of reach their level. But yeah. at this stage, I think we, we are potentially seeing that it's just going to be something that they're, they're weirdly good at this year. And it sometimes just does happen as a, as a statistical quirk. We're the only podcast in the market that's going to be talking about half standard deviations of life. <laughs> Fair statement, I think. Probably. I would, uh, I would imagine so. Uh, let's hope so. Uh, John Hobenreich, on that subject, small sample size is a valid statistical concept, but given the small number of games in an MLS season, the changes in the offseason that make longitudinal comparisons hard, etc., is there ever such a thing as a sufficient sample size for one team in MLS? It depends on what sort of conclusion you're hoping to draw. If it's about a specific statistical item, maybe. If it's about a different statistical item, probably not. And then what sort of strength of statistical validity you're looking for. But I, I'm totally with you, John. You're right in that there are some matters that you just can never be fully confident about. And we have to make that determination with the data we have. And we, we kind of say, okay, with the data we have, based on the sample size, how kind of certain can we be that this is a real thing that we're seeing versus maybe kind of just an anomaly based on the size of that sample, which is small. Um, yeah, I got to phrase it a different way since I say it so frequently. But, <laughs> but yeah, there are, there are definitely factors that, you know, I just mentioned New York City FC uh, underachieved their expected goals in one MLS Cup. The previous year, Columbus Crew overachieved their expected goals in one MLS Cup. I don't think we're, you're that you know, gives you some sort of indication that either being the luckiest or least lucky team is going to win MLS Cup. It just means that that's what happened that year. So descriptively, we know what we can describe, but predictively, yes, there are definitely going to be things that we can't say with a, a solid degree of certainty. Well, the beautiful and, and, and stupid thing about this league is that even if you had an 150 game sample size and you had amazing predictive data, it's predictive data trying to forecast essentially random events in yeah. the course of a match because games are decided by one or two moments. And yeah. so, well, and, that, and that's part of what makes soccer such a, such an exciting game to watch, but part of what makes it hard to, to determine statistically, because the sample sizes, uh, you know, across the season are really small. It's not mm -hmm. like you're scoring a hundred points, like in a basketball game, right. you are scoring one or two goals. And if, if one deflects off a defender and goes in, it still counts, but it doesn't necessarily give you kind of the full picture of what was kind of achieved in that moment. One goal that did not go in, uh, for Nashville was Dax McCarty's <laughs> penalty kick, uh, taken round stoppage time right around the 90th minute, uh, and Dax was was either he was either chosen to take the PK or he chose himself to take the PK. A little insight into how this works for Nashville. A lot of managers are going to leave it up to players on the field to decide who takes the, the, a given penalty kick. Gary Smith does not. It is decided before the match. However, 
penalty kick taker number one, Hani Mukhtar, was out. So was kick taker number two, Randall Leal. They both got rested after playing uh, just over two thirds of the match. Number three, I. I don't I don't know who that would even really be. Probably not Dax McCarty, but the, the captain had come in. The captain took the penalty kick. Uh, I don't know. Who, who would be number three, by the way? Would you say something Ani- like a Walker? An- Anibal, Walker, Anibal. I was wondering about Anibal. He was also yeah. out, by the way, yeah. by that, yeah. at, that, at that point. Um, so John Cade uh, asks right after the match, he texted, I've already got my mailbag question for this week. <laughs> Why didn't they let Jack Mayer take the PK? And, of course, that would have given Jack a chance to have uh, the hat trick. So, you know, Hani, Randall, Anibal, all out. I'm going to guess that Dax was probably given the power to make that call mm-hmm. on the pitch as the captain in that moment. And you know, e- either way, it's a potential reward for him leading this team back, uh, you know, getting into the feelings ball piece of, of inspiring <laughs> the group back to success. I think he chose himself as an opportunity to be accountable and to get himself going. I think, you know, hey, if somebody misses this, it's going to be on their shoulders. Let it be me. I, you know, I want to be the guy to elevate this team a little further. Obviously, it didn't work out in the moment. Not a great penalty kick. He'd probably tell you that, too. Tim, who would you have chosen to take it in that moment? Yeah, I would have taken Jack for the obvious reason. <laughs> but um, Gary did mention after the game that that Mayer never even really crossed his mind as a mm. serious option for the penalty kick. I don't remember the rest of the answer. I mean, he might have said, because he's said in the past that they have like a depth chart of like, yeah, you know, 1 to 27, however many guys are on the roster right now, of, of the order that they would take them in. But <clears throat> excuse me. You're taking a pen to go up for nothing in a game that you aren't realistically going to lose. Let Mayer take it. I, I also understand yeah. the captain making the decision, and particularly in a game where Dax came off the bench picking himself makes a lot of sense. He kind of wants to say, hey, I wasn't here you know, from wire to wire, but I made an impact on this game. So I understand it, but you know, you're, you're shooting to go for nothing. <laughs> you might as well go with whether that's kind of a comedy answer or like a or like a realistic hey give this guy a hat trick answer because yeah. he may never score again honestly but he, he probably will but he may never score again give him the chance to get the hattie and and i haven't seen the pk sessions on my recent trips to training which would tell us more about it, know, it's who, it's the part of training that we're not allowed to see <laughs> i can go for a little longer yeah, you you get um, you get more than the rest of us but even still i yeah, i missed yeah. it and they do some of that work after gary is even already kind of left mm-hmm. in some cases depending on the in the usl days they would start doing it when gary would come over and, and give the press conference and yeah. then the players would like slowly filter over and, and give the player Steve a press conference. moment to shine yeah. um I, I would have voted for alex in that moment though if you're purely looking for you know a guy to get that that fourth goal he's mm-hmm. made a pk before uh for this team in the sliding doors moment where if ake loba gets it then maybe he's <laughs> off and he scored 20 goals this year probably not um He's also suffered from near misses in front of goal. Maybe that confidence is a little bit low on the finishing. That's a chance to get that confidence back up. But again, we're talking about three nothing versus four nothing uh, in a league where goal differential is not quite as important because it's the second tiebreaker after wins. Um, So yeah, not exactly um, the 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 crucial moment of the year, but still a fun (laughs) one to discuss. I think uh, for sure. Uh, Justin Belial says, "I'm not the most knowledgeable fan when it comes to tactics, but it seems to me." that Mayer has earned a spot in the starting squad. Could we potentially play with a back five instead of a back three? Mayer, Romney, Zimmerman is center backs with Moore and Lovitz out wide anyways. Great win Saturday. Of course, Nashville played with that Mm -hmm. three-man center back group a lot this year for the bulk of the season until Shaq Moore came in, Tim. Yeah, I I think that it's exactly that. (laughs) That changes what you want to do. I don't think it's the most natural fit for the wide players. Playing Alex Muel out at right back is not his natural position. He obviously goes out and and does a shift, to say the least, when he's mm-hmm. playing right wing back. 
but there's not a natural way that Shaq Moore fits into that. It, it just doesn't quite play into his skill set. And there's no need to force guys onto the field either. Great teams have depth. Uh, more playing time for Mayer, the, the occasional curveball, yes. Um, I definitely want to see him on the field, especially uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a little bit of a reward for, for scoring a couple goals to get him a little bit more playing time this week or this midweek. But it is a situation where you you because you have three good center backs, that's not a problem. That's a good thing. You want to be able to rotate those guys, especially in this busy stretch run of the season. Wyatt says, Gary made a great decision sitting a lot of people, still getting three great points. However, he still has a hashtag Gary out crowd. What does he have to do to get some trust from fans? Man, Wyatt, I don't know. When you've won two <laughs> matches by a combined 7 nothing total and not allowed a shot on target, I've not seen people clamoring for his job at this point. Um, after the, after these two, you, you do see the tweets you know, leading up during the winless streak. Mm-hmm. But all I can say is Twitter's not real life. Never base guiding principles on social media extremists. There's always going to be somebody tweeting the hashtag in a given week, no matter what happens. If you have quibbles with his management, with his tactics, that's normal. That's understandable. Of course, uh, always question things. Always question. That's great. Don't just be a drone. But advocating for his ouster doesn't match what's happening on the field right now or what he's done to elevate this club in a short time. And I I hesitate to use the word spoiled because I think, you know, fans have legitimate feelings and I don't want to Mm -hmm. dismiss them, but, but I'm going to use the word spoiled (laughs) because, you know, winless in six was a frustrating time. Certainly anybody who's still putting that out there, we had heard for somebody last week after a four, nothing win to me is not looking at this club success in the right prism um, based on the parody that exists in this league. I I did see somebody say, Hey, if, if there hadn't been a red card, if, if Lucas Cavallini hadn't stomped on the back of Alex Wheels' head, Nashville wasn't going to win that game. They were going to get a draw or a loss. I'm like, what are you talking about? Vancouver literally didn't get a shot on target. And they were up 3 nothing when that happened. That includes the first half. Yeah, like they're not coming back and, and winning 4-3 in that game. So there are still people out there who are, who are a little bit on the pessimistic side. And I understand that the nature of fandom is that only one team can win uh, the MLS cup at the end of the year. And, and therefore a lot of people are expecting kind of setting themselves up for the worst, but I don't, I don't, I really don't think there is anything that, that the most, that the most uh, vociferous Gary out voices can see that would, that, that would really change it. And like, even going undefeated over the course of a season might not be enough. Um, I think if you saw LAFC's results to date, there would be people calling for Gary's head because of a 4-1 loss to Austin at the weekend. It's just a situation where there are always going to be people who are upset. And I think part of it is um, getting used to a salary cap league. People are used to cheering for Manchester City or not mm-hmm. Manchester United because they never win anymore. But <laughs> but but these mega European clubs and, and not understanding that it's there's quite a bit more parity in this league and you don't just go out and say, okay, we're going to sign the most expensive player and our team's going to be better and we're going to lose no games going forward. It's a situation where in this sort of league you're going to have ups and downs. And I think for Nashville, the the ups have far outweighed the downs. Nailed it. Couldn't agree more. Sticking on the subject of uh, Gary Smith, uh, Trevor Bryant asks, Gary's earned 12 victories three times in seven years as an MLS head coach, 2010, 2011 with Colorado, last year with Nashville. Sitting at 10 wins with six left to play, does Smith break that 12-win ceiling for the first time in MLS play? Great question. Yep. I think he does. He got should be wins over Colorado and Houston, mm-hmm. um, two struggling teams, seeing both of them at home. Then you need just one more win, and it's not going to be easy to get one more win. Uh, it's two times against Austin, home against LA Galaxy, away at LAFC. Those are not, yeah, none of those are going to be easy games. But I think when you look at, you know, a roll of the dice and, and each of the four, one of them should come away with a win. Uh, yeah, for Nashville to achieve its aspirations this year, that will need to happen. Three mm-hmm. wins gets you to the playoffs. It's virtual guarantee at 48 points, given the parity in this league. 
given this team's performance, though, Tim, against playoff contenders, you know, yeah, I'd expect it to happen. But also wouldn't be surprised if they drop points against Colorado or Houston. Those would be mm-hmm. disappointing results. But then turn around and get a couple of wins against better teams. Watch them, yeah. you know, get a disappointing draw against Colorado. Not predicting that, but just saying. And then go to Austin and beat them. It's just kind of mm-hmm. the way this team has operated this year is they might get where they end up. You end up expecting them to go, but they might get there a very different route. Uh, or that might be or, or win at LAFC and Gareth Bale retires and doesn't play in the World Cup. We can all dream. <laughs> Some hypotheticals are more likely than others. Uh, John Mueller, how important is a definitive road victory with a rotated team for the team and for the fan base's psyche? Doesn't hurt, right? No. <laughs> like, obviously, it, it helps. No but I think, yeah, I think the fact that the team has been near elite on the road already, basically since the beginning of the year, since that win over Seattle that we didn't realize was a little bit less impressive, but... Um, there's only so much emotional lift that can happen when you kind of just continue what you've been doing away from home. I think a, a big win at Geodas Park, see FC Dallas, for example, probably means more because the team needed to get a bit of a monkey off their backs and yeah. hey, you aren't playing very well at home. I think that was the one that was a bigger impact. Uh, if you look at these two games as a unit where they you know, take the input from the, the games that happened before them and lead to the output of the games after them, I think the Dallas one was probably bigger in terms of changing the narrative. I agree, and I think, you know, Fans, you know, who have been paying attention, uh, a la John Mueller for sure, and, and most of our listeners, probably could have visualized this happening in in Vancouver. I think as I was, I, I kind of have you know plays ticking through my head and likely results ticking through my head as I prepare for a broadcast. And that was what was kind of in my brain was a three zero three one type of win, not a prediction that that would happen, but kind of the expectation of how the game could potentially go because they did that against DC. They did it in Colorado at a time, as you mentioned earlier, where Colorado was pretty good and getting some pretty good results. So, yeah, I think that that's become the expectation. And this team, because it had that early road stretch and was so successful, relatively speaking, in those eight, I, I think wherever they go in the playoffs, they're going to they're gonna be a team you can't rule out. And, and I would agree that the home success is a bigger deal because it was more fleeting and, and, mm-hmm. and harder to, 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 um, to pin down uh, in the early days at home. Uh, Logan Elliott, it, kind of on that topic, adversity seems to be an important factor for this team. This team was under adversity with the run of road games at the beginning of the year. It seemed to now be, uh, given their poor form for the last couple of months, the tough fixtures approaching. Do you all see this as pressure making diamonds out of our performances? Or do you foresee it, and sorry, and do you all foresee it continuing against some formidable opponents these next six games? I, for one, he says, am looking forward to an Austin FC sweep. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for, you know, as, as much as I kind of look down my nose at feelings ball, this team really does, you know, with an emotional leader like Dax McCarty, with kind of the the way that they have ridden the wave a little bit in terms of form. I think there's they thrive off of feelings ball and are, are affected by it negatively as well, mm-hmm. more than my cold hearted statistical view would care to admit. So I do think that there's something to that. Yeah, and while Dax is very gracious and very well-spoken in the media spotlight, and I think many will look at that post-Minnesota presser as a turning point, I can tell you he, he uses a little more plain language on the training uh, training ground and on the pitch to get those points across. And yeah. uh, if we don't we don't things, need an explicit tag on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's true. We I mean we we certainly can, but if we were <laughs> let's just say we, we we're you know for playing press conference language is going to sound a little different than I was characterizing. <laughs> the same ideas are coming across though, and and if he's he's being that plain spoken in a press conference, you better believe he is on the on the pitch as well. And yeah, I don't think we can discount that leadership. And, and you heard Jack Mayer talk about that earlier that. You know, when you have a group that's never too high, never too low, um, and things start going south, 
they're going to be able to, to steer the steering wheel toward a more positive direction. I don't think that's feelings ball necessarily. I think that's not just the human element. That's the metric of experience on a team. <laughs> Hell, you know, which is, which is inherently feelings ball. Like, come on. <laughs> I know because feeling yeah, experience can also mean you're just old and washed up. It's, it's misleading stat, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it's working, whatever is happening. I agree that there's, there's definitely a psychological element to this. Justin Smith going into a two-match week with Austin being the latter match. Do you see Gary going with the same-ish lineup from Vancouver, resting some of those star players against Colorado? Um, I don't I don't know this information. I've not been on the call with Gary yet to discuss a lineup, so I can say this with a very pure, honest opinion. I would expect to see Walker and Lovitz return to the mix. I think both were – Lovitz was just purely being rested. I think Walker was too, knowing the, the load that was coming up. I think CJ probably is, is back in the mix for this one. We'll see how Anibal held up, but if Dax comes in for him, that's not exactly second choice. That's a, one of those mm-hmm. things that could have even been premeditated mm-hmm. coming in. The biggest question I have, does Mayer take Dave Romney's spot at left center back if they go to a four-man? And honestly, I think I would expect that. You know, you have the brace, you have the solid defensive performance. Gary's talked about how, through no fault of Romney's, Mayer has improved enough to close that gap some. And then I think you give Dave the chance to return against Austin, rested. I don't think that it's a mayor taking Romney's job, but I think, hey, good performance, a chance to rest a center back like they rested Walker uh, on the weekend. I think mayor might come in for Romney. It's weird because Gary and and Mike Jacobs have also have both mentioned that that Walker and Jack are kind of the similar sort of archetype of player, whereas Romney brings something different that is probably a little bit more of an Ahmed Longmire uh, sort of situation. I do not think Ahmed Longmire is ready to contribute, and certainly not if we're trying to find minutes for center backs. But in the big picture, I, I, I got to think that we see more like a first choice lineup, no travel. Um, obviously, on Saturday, some guys were either injured or were unable to, to make the trip to Canada for other reasons. So it's a different situation when you're back at home. And I do think that you're likely to see without having to travel after the Wednesday game, both of these games are at home. You'll probably see as close to a first choice lineup as guys you have healthy and available uh, in both games. I would also hope and expect to see Jacob Schaffelberg get his reward for his goal by, by coming in and starting um, in that four, two, three, one on the left flank, but uh, we will see last question from Mac. Do you see a path for a home playoff game? Yeah, it's still there. Uh, Nashville's in fifth. So, there, you know, you need to be top four. It's just a narrow path. Um, NSC has a game in hand on Dallas, so they have one more chance. They're back four points. So mathematically, yeah, it's there. But the problem is you don't play Dallas again, so you don't have one of those six-point swings uh, available. <laughs> Same with Minnesota, who's a point ahead of Dallas. Also, FC Dallas still gets to play San Jose and SKC. That SKC match is on decision day, whereas Nashville goes to LAFC. So let's be polite. And just say, SKC SKC's in form, baby. They're they're, they're bad. Playing all right, but I'd rather play SKC on decision day than LAFC. And uh, so I think you want to you want to get that done before decision day if you can help it. And Minnesota has that same luxury of um, of getting to play both of those teams, San Jose and and Sporting Kansas City, for what it's worth. Nashville uh, only has one game against a non contender for the playoffs, and that's against Houston. Um, so. You know, I, I it's it the path is there. It's mm-hmm. just going to take winning a couple games you probably shouldn't to get it done, like going to Austin and getting those three points uh, to make that happen. Yeah, I haven't put together the ridiculous spreadsheet that I talked about constantly towards the end of last year. There are too many games that would break Google Sheets. I can't do it quite yet. <laughs> uh, I, I thought about it when you mentioned earlier that you that you think three wins would be enough to to guarantee playoffs, and I, I think it probably is. But again, I haven't done the haven't done the research yet. Um, but it is a situation where. And when you look at the, the matches that, that Nashville has left, they probably do need to steal one to, to end up having a home playoff match. But 
I don't think they need to do a ton more than that to have a home playoff match because all these guys are going to be playing, you know, yes, against SKC, but also they're going to be playing some difficult matches. They also have tough midweek to, to weekend game uh, schedules. So it is a situation where, you know, we all we all kind of get, get frustrated and upset when Nashville SC drops expected points. But guess what? Happens to everybody. And, I, I, you know, there are going to be opportunities that that happens to other people, and it opens a window for Nashville to, to make a little run towards the home playoff field. As we talk about the playoffs, let's go outside in. Eric Williamson over the set piece for Portland. Into a dangerous pass, free of air, and Polanco puts it in! The Timbers have come back to take the lead! It's 2-1! to one. Jake Zivin's call on ESPN of Portland's winner over Seattle. Sebastian Blanco in the 51st minute completing a comeback from 1-0 down to win Cascadia. And uh, that means, number one, Tim, that Portland has now won more Cascadia games in the history of the rivalry than Seattle. 18 to Ooh. 17 with seven draws. I'm sure the folks in Seattle just love that. But it also means this Sounders team that we kept kept on saying, look, they won the Continental Championship. They finished top four every year of their history. They're going to find a way up the table. It's going to happen. It's not happened. Are they in trouble at this point? Yeah, I mean, they're rapidly running out of concrete before they need to have liftoff, right? <laughs> it, just, it just hasn't happened. It isn't happening. Yes, some of that is because of injury, which you might say that run to the CCL championship might have something to do with it. You might say that they've just been very unlucky this year, which is also partially the case. But mm-hmm. with seven games left, that you know, it doesn't matter if you've been unlucky. It doesn't matter how you got into the situation that you're in. You don't have a ton of time to make up for the ground that you gave up earlier in the year. They have to be near flawless to make the playoff field. And there has been some discussion, especially since that match against Portland the other night, if, if whether that CCL title is, is worth breaking the Sounders' long playoff streak. The answer is absolutely yes. Oh, yeah. I would take the CCL title, especially because they haven't looked incompetent this year. It's just been kind of right. an unlucky regular season. Um, yeah, I'll take that. I think they're still going to find a way to make the playoffs. That's not a logical thought. It's just I have a hard time <laughs> you, envisioning you a playoff know, yeah. without them in it. So yeah. uh, actually quite surprised they didn't get at least something out of Portland. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're down they, to their rival. And I was looking at They were like smashed by Portland. They were lucky that that game was as close as it was uh, yeah. on the scoreboard too. So that was what really surprised me because they haven't been the victim of too many of those this year. Great call by a friend of the show, Jake Zivin, who appeared on the show before the Portland match. Um, and I always wonder when he, because he's the Portland guy, right? When he goes to ESPN and does one of those impartially, but, but mm-hmm. Portland's involved. I'm sure he's secretly relishing those moments, even if he does a great job playing it down the middle, of course, uh, when he's doing a national call. Uh, RSL equalizes late against Dallas. Um, you could go either way on whether that's good news for the boys in gold. I guess it depends on your thought about Nashville's ability to pass Dallas because RSL's the other yeah, team. Right cheer, there. cheer for draws if they're both in play. When in doubt, cheer do, for yeah. draws, and I think that's a fair that's a fair point here with Nashville now tied on points with RSL four back of Dallas. Um, and watch out for Galaxy as well. They beat New England on the road. They creep within two points of NSC and. They have two games in hand. I don't think this is a Galaxy team that most of us are saying, oh yeah, MLS Cup contenders, watch out. But in this league, you never know. And they're still in position, maybe even better position than Nashville to grab a top four spot when you look at the fact that they've played two fewer games uh, and are just, what, six points out of that top Mm -hmm. four. Uh, Which team then, maybe I answered that question personally (laughs) there just now, but which team in your opinion below Nashville on the table presents the biggest threat to Nashville? Is it RSL? who's tied on points, Galaxy two points back, or can you make an argument for Portland and Seattle? 
Yeah, I mean, keep in mind what I did just say about Seattle. I'm yeah. still high on them, even if bad luck, injuries, et cetera, have led them to, to the point that they are right now. It wouldn't surprise me if they came back. But like you said, it, it, it's got it's got to be LA Galaxy. Um, they're head-on points per game. They do have those two games in hand, like you mentioned. And they just added a, a Barcelona player, right? It's not a guy that they got out of like the Barcelona Academy. This is a dude who has played senior games for mm-hmm. Barcelona. I do think people are getting a little bit overheated with with the like Peach showed he's above the level of MLS stuff because they watched one highlight reel where he made one incredible pass, which was yeah, it was an incredible pass, yeah. but that that doesn't tell the whole story. Um, so I, I do think that he'll improve the team nonetheless, and it's an area that they have really really needed to improve the team for probably like six or seven years, honestly. So. Mm-hmm. Chicharito also shown an ability to get hot at the right times uh, in in this league. Um, he's also shown the ability to go cold at the right time, <laughs> so that's that's that can be an issue as well. But when you look at what the Galaxy has been able to do this year, and when you look at the pieces that have been added or or could be coming into form, I do think that they've done the most to say, okay, we're going to make that late climb up the board. A fun match Wednesday between LA and another team that's made some huge midseason acquisitions. That being Toronto, LA. Talk travels. about running out of runway. They, if they had the team, this team all year, they would be. They would oh be like gosh. contending for it's incredible. They're, and they're contending for a playoff spot from virtually yeah. nowhere uh, by adding Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernadeschi and and Crescido, um Which, by the way, he told one broadcaster his name was pronounced um, Crescido which is just a difficult, difficult name for a broadcaster <laughs> to say. It's Crescito, but even still, like, I'm, I just went with the with the Crescito because I didn't want to be accused. Because also, nobody else has said it that way. So all of a sudden, you're changing it, and you're, you know, using a, a, a root word of shit. It was like, no, 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 that's, <laughs> uh, that's not going to fly. Anyway, uh, long story short, those two teams battling in Toronto. No reason to root for LA to, to do anything in that one. Root for root for Toronto, root for the Reds, being in the Eastern Conference, of course, with no bearing on Nashville's playoff position. And that way, LA can waste one of those, those opportunities to climb. RSL Minnesota, a big one in Salt Lake as well, as Minnesota is still technically within reach uh, of Nashville too. Five points up, but RSL tied on points, so I'm not going to fault you for going ahead and saying, you know what, top three is going to be tough. Get the win, loons. Get the road win over RSL there um, so that Nashville can, can secure that playoff spot or have a, a step closer to securing the playoff spot. And then Austin and Portland, again there, you want Austin to get the win, and depending on whether you're me or a rational supporter, uh, you, you want Sebastian Driussi to um, to get a yellow card and be suspended for Nashville, <laughs> or maybe you don't. Um, and then uh, this weekend, Minnesota and Dallas, a huge one there. Uh, third versus fourth as things stand now. L.A. hosts SKC, so uh, you know obviously that's a great opportunity, even with the inform uh, SKC starting to figure things out a little bit. And then RSL goes to LAFC. So there's a chance that RSL comes away with one or zero points from this week. Two tough games for them, and Nashville can be ahead of them, you would think, um, coming into next week. Yeah, Root for draws. Root for draws in most of these games. Yeah. Um, I think the one that I'll be watching the most closely, not just for for table reasons, but to kind of get a, a picture of an upcoming opponent, is awesome. Nashville's playing them twice. Portland mm-hmm. is a team that that does have a lot of similarities, especially with the way that Nashville wants to play yeah. with with this transition back to a back four. That's going to be really interesting to to watch from a soccer perspective and from a and from a competitive perspective. Um, I, I really like this Minnesota team. I just don't think that they are as good as they look in the table right now. So we'll see what happens in that Minnesota Dallas game at the weekend too. Well, you're. I mean, the stats back up that analysis we talked earlier that they're 
they'd be outside of playoff position if you looked at expected goal differential. Mm-hmm. Um, but Emmanuel Reynoso, one of the most exciting players to watch in this league, teaming up with Fraga Ponding and Amaria. They are, they are a blast. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, final whistle, content recommendations. I've got one um, fueled by what I did yesterday, which was, I, and this is kind of a, a fall habit of mine into spring, mowing the lawn while listening. That's not a content recommendation, although you should mow your lawns regularly. Um, listening to BBC radio and listening to live live matches while I'm doing yard work or, you know, out and about on a weekend morning. I love it. Now, of course, the NSC radio guy is going to sit here and tell you he should listen to, you know, you should listen to, to soccer radio, uh, of course. But it's a blast in the way they cover every match with such urgency in every match day. The best parts of those broadcasts are not even the live games. It's the whip around coverage before and after where they're going to various reporters, you know, in the terraces of various matches all the way down to, to the Scottish premiership and into league one. Like they've got people at Coventry and, and at Chelsea. Um, and it's great. It's really good. It's really good radio. So if you follow the sport, I'm a big, big proponent of the premier league on NBC. They do an awesome job. But if you want it from kind of a more of a, of, of a British perspective and you want every team talked about, it's a lot of fun. And, and you kind of feel like you're driving down the M1 from Leeds to London as opposed to uh, mowing your lawn in Nashville, Tennessee. I, I often feel like I'm driving down the, the M1, you said. Yes, that, that experience we all know so well. <laughs> Common experience. Yes, yeah. of course. My uh, content recommendation is totally non-soccer related. It's called Five Days at Memorial. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. It is a mini-series, a five-episode mini-series based on the, the Baptist Memorial Hospital during the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. It's based on, based on and partially written by the, by the same author as a book on the subject. She also wrote the story in, I want to say, The New Yorker or maybe New York Magazine. Um, it's an incredible story. It's, it, um, as, as I talk about a lot, so people know this, my wife is an emergency room physician. It talks about the, the extremely difficult decisions that these people have to make in, in triage situations, in situations that are essentially no-win situations. It will really, really piss you off at, at the federal government and the government of Louisiana as well. Um, but it's a heart-wrenching story. Honestly, the, the miniseries is just okay, but I think it's like an important enough story that people should watch it. Uh, it, it such admiration share your admiration for people whose careers are not just jobs but are callings and mm-hmm. to be a physician to be a medical uh health provider of any kind it takes that mission-oriented focus that i think i i can't comprehend and so props to your wife kudos to her for the amazing work that she does and anything that can help us gain greater appreciation for the true heroes of our society as opposed to soccer players who we can like and admire but uh, don't don't rise to that level at least in their day jobs i, I think it's it's so important uh, so i i watched the the trailer actually last night while watching another apple tv plus show and i thought that's going to be a tough watch but an important mm-hmm. one nonetheless mm-hmm. i'm sure so thank you uh, thank you for that recommendation uh and thanks to each of you for listening tim any final thoughts before we head out of here no, I, I just want to be the one to say rate, review, subscribe. We are very serious about this. Leave an actual review yes. on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, wherever you get your pods. Leave a review. I know everybody says this. It really does help out. It helps people find us. Um, we're very happy with with the way the numbers have been trending. Thank you to all of you for telling your friends about the pod. But mm-hmm. yeah, keep, keep those reviews going. Yeah, I'll, I'll read another one um, because I think it's fun to kind of see what people are saying. Uh, so this is not us tooting our own horns. It's you guys. Um <laughs> This person says, level head of analysis, and this the username is speaker with a Z, speakers. He says, I love listening to this pod after our games. I'm a season ticket holder. I'm in person at every game, which makes it easy to miss or misinterpret everything that happens on the field. People on the NSC Facebook page wish they could talk about soccer as level-headed as this. Also, ML Rose is my neighbor, and they rule. Um, 
one note here, speakers. I'm jealous of your home location, that ML Rose is your neighbor. <laughs> the rest of it, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, and we'll, we'll start reading a review every week. And hey, you know what? If you want to trash us, we, yeah, we're not going to read those reviews. <laughs> uh, but if you're listening this far into the podcast, you're probably not going to give us a one star. That's that's a fair bet, I think. Uh, so yeah, definitely, we encourage you to uh, to do that and uh, and help others know about the show. Tell the people you're sitting with at, at the games too. Hey, check out the podcast, and uh, they can they can misinterpret things just like we are. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, ML Rose, again, thanks for their sponsorship. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music and the 440 Sports Network for uh, for letting us on the air. One shameless plug, uh, finally appeared, Tim, uh, well well after you were chosen. Appeared on Lamestream Sports, my uh, favorite 440 <laughs> podcast, including this one. Uh, and got to talk with Steve, with Steve Cavendish and Braden Gall, kind of about the process of getting into these broadcasts, how I got to this point in my career, uh, but but also you know just what it's like to cover this club. It was a fun, fun chat. There's a shameless plug. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week.